You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit Stonegate.Church. All right, so I have a confession to make this morning, and I know that me doing so will uh, spark some judgment and condemnation, but I'm going to risk it because I trust that this is a safe place, okay? So so here we go. I like jack-in-the-box tacos. Anybody in here? I know, I know. Uh, it's not just that I like them, but, but I can easily sit and eat about six of those bad boys in one sitting, and I'll feel good, you know. Uh, so, so I don't know what's in them. Don't, don't ask me what's in them. Don't tell me what meat or whatever it is that's in them to make, to, to make them. I just know I like them, okay. So, so guilty, I confess. Uh, but, but the problem with jack-in-the-box tacos, amongst many others, uh, is that I always forget how I feel 30 minutes after I eat them, okay? So the, the immediate satisfaction wears off really fast, and, and I'm left feeling all sorts of feelings you don't want to feel. I, I mean, it's the type of feelings that keep you up at night. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like those feelings. And, and I just somehow keep believing the lie that these tacos are good for me, that the more I have, the better off I'll be. That, that I'll actually be full after I eat them. So every time I eat a lot, I remember uh, why I shouldn't be believing these lies. It's, and it makes me so mad sometimes because I can just hear my lovely paleo-loving wife in my ear saying, Tony, why did you eat the tacos again? They're, they're not good for you. Do, you. do you know what's in them? Those aren't tacos, okay? That, that, that's what my wife would be saying to me. Uh, and, and so... That doesn't stop me from coming back to the tacos every time, you know. Uh, I, I, I don't know what's in those tacos, but I love them anyway, all right? And, and so thank you. Thank you, Jack in the Box Tacos. And, and so, so the funny thing about uh, this is we're going to see the same sort of insanity uh, play out in Psalm chapter 4 today. There's not Jack in the Box Tacos in Psalm chapter 4, uh, but, but, you, but you'll see what I mean. That there are a group of people in this psalm that are looking for something good, but they're looking in all the wrong places with all the wrong assumptions. And and these people are found in verse 6. If you look at verse 6, they're saying, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. So, So let me translate what they're saying. These people are saying, God, show us you're here by giving us a break. Show us something good. Now, hold up. Uh, I, I think it'd be helpful for us to back up a little bit because there's some assumptions being made that shape this comment for these people. And we have to ask ourselves some of these questions that they've already answered, such as, what is our good? The many, which is how we'll refer to these people, have already defined their good, and these people are going to end up reminding us of how Israel in the book of Judges seemed to establish what was right and good. You see, in Judges chapter 17, verse 6, it reads, Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So they're defining good by their own standards. And, and after they've defined for themselves what's good, the second question they've already answered is, what follows God's presence? So you see this in their comment in verse 6. Read it again. Who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. So, so, so this gets even deeper 
the many are waiting for God to show up, and by that, they mean they're waiting for God to give them what they believe to be their good. And they're attaching God's presence to this good. You see that? And the last question that they've already answered is, why is this good better? The many are seeking this good because they believe that this is their best good. And they believe that this good is their best good because if they didn't, they wouldn't be seeking after it by asking God for it. So we must ask ourselves, are the many in this psalm right in their assumptions? And in order to say yes or no, we also got to answer the same three questions for ourselves. So we're going to answer these questions this morning. What's our good? What follows God's presence? And why is it better? What's our good? What follows God's presence? And why is it better? And David actually will give us the answers to these questions in the psalm. So let's just take a look at how David approached these questions. First, what's our good? And we'll go back to verse 1. David begins the psalm saying, Answer me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. And this verse is very important in helping us answer the questions we're trying to answer this morning. But we're going to come back to this one, so, so just hold on. We're going to move on to verse 2. In verse 2, David shifts his focus from talking to God to talking to the group of people, the many, that David's actually going to spend verses 2 through 6 directing his psalm to these people. And these people are seeking after something they believe is their good, as we already said. And, and as David watches and is affected by these people seeking, he's going to give us some insight on what he thinks about their seeking. He's basically going to tell them to check two things in order to answer the question of what's our good. So let's see what he says in verse 2. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Selah. So David sees these people and asserts that, that what they're seeking after are lies. The, the first thing David's asking these men to check is their minds, and he's saying, do you really believe that what you're seeking after is going to fulfill? Who told you that? It's a lie. It's a lie. Tim, Tim Keller would actually put it this way when talking about sin. He'll say this, sin isn't only doing bad things, it's more fundamentally making good things into ultimate things. Sin is building your life and meaning on anything, even a very good thing, more than on God. Whatever we build our life on will drive us and enslave us. Sin is primarily idolatry. So da David is saying, th those words are empty why do you love them? You've made an idol out of something that was never supposed to give what you're asking from it. Created things were never supposed to give you fulfillment. They're supposed to point you to the one that gives fulfillment. They're a broken cistern. And he doesn't stop there. He, he clarifies what, what they actually need to know and remember in verse 3. So he moves on in verse 3 and he says this, But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call him. So David's basically saying, you better watch out. As, as you trample over and shame people along the way as they seek after lies, you, you need to know that those you've shamed might be people like me who's, who God is with. 
God has set apart a group of people for himself, and he hears their cry, and be careful, your destructive seeking after lies is having God put you on notice. Church, David is reminding us that God hears the cries of his children, and anyone that messes with his children will, be, will sooner or later have to deal with him. And it may not happen on the side of heaven, but they will be dealt with. And then David moves on, and the second thing David's asking these men to check is their hearts in order to answer what they're seeking after is their good. Look at verse 4. He says, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Selah. David sees that these men, these people, are seeking after lies, and them doing so is bringing them anger and distress when they don't get what they believe is their good, when, they, when someone gets in the way of their good, when, when someone doesn't see their good the same way that they do, they're disturbed, they don't find peace, they're bothered, they're angered, and David is, is asking them to check their hearts because he knows that they're seeking after these lies and putting their trust in them. And you know this because David's going to offer a better option than trusting in the lies of this world in verse 5, and he says this, offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Put your trust in the Lord. Instead of putting your trust in lies and the things that won't fulfill and things that will eventually leave you angered and disturbed on your beds at night, you should put your trust in the Lord. And David is calling his opponents and shamers to repentance. He tells them in verse 4, do not sin. And he tells them in verse 5, offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. And David is getting at a couple profound things here. First, he's letting us know that our anger is a heart issue. Look again at verse 4. He says, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts. Is that the first thing we do when we get angered? ponder in your own hearts first. I know what I do when I get angry. I find out who or what has angered me because someone or something's got to be the blame for why my expectations weren't met. Who's it going to be and how can I make them pay, right? That, 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 that's how we process anger. But, but David says, wait, it, it, if you're angry, you need to check yourself first. You need to check your heart first. What, what if you're angered because you've placed a lie in your heart? What, what if you're angered because you've placed something in this world over God, and when you don't get it, your temper begins to rise? What if when you don't get it, your anxiety begins to rise? And church, I'm just here to tell you this morning that, that, that your anger is telling you something about your heart and what idol is in there. So let me ask you, church, when's the last time you've been extremely angered? <laughs> and more importantly, what, what, what is that revealing about your heart? Are you angered at the things that anger God? And are you handling that anger the same way he would? Or is your anger revealing what idol you actually worship in your heart? Not, not only does anger reveal what idol's in your heart, but it also reveals what you think about God. It reveals what you actually believe about the gospel. So, so, so take food, for instance. If food is your satisfier, whether that's jack-in-the-box tacos or coffee, can I say that in church, talk about coffee? Can I press on that? 
or just plain food. And when you don't get your food when you want it or how you want it, Burger King, you get hangry, right? Hungry and angry at the same time. You're a different person and you treat people differently until you get it. Can anybody relate? Especially on the coffee thing, right? So, so what your hangriness is saying about your heart is this, it, is that you might be relying on bread for life, not the bread of life for sustenance. It, it might be saying you need this food or this taco or this coffee to be okay. It, it might be saying you don't really, like, believe Jesus is enough. And Jesus' work for us allows us to receive and experience the promise of God that he is a good father and there's no need to find satisfaction elsewhere. There's no need. And when we get hangry, we don't really believe that promise of God. We instead functionally believe that satisfaction can be found elsewhere in our food and our other things. We, we are believing that lie, and the people in this psalm might not be hangry, but they are in fact angry, and it's revealing what idol is buried deep down in their hearts and what they believe about God. It's what it's, what it's saying about them. So, so secondly, David's telling us in verses four and five to offer right sacrifices, be, because do you see what it is? It's not what someone would naturally think at first glance. The, the right sacrifice isn't us doing something. It isn't us giving God the best we've got and seeing if that makes him happy with us. It's putting your trust in God. What a beautiful glimpse of what is to come in Jesus, right? The only right sacrifice isn't within us. It isn't something we do. It's only the sacrifice of an unblemished lamb on a cross that God accepts. Our call is to put our trust in Jesus' sacrifice, the one who paid the price for us and stood in our place for us. This is the gospel. What good news is that that God wants us to offer our trust in someone that was able to do what we couldn't do on our own. Amen? To put our trust in someone that is able to bring us into right relationship with our Father and Creator, we must simply deny ourselves by surrendering our lives to the Lordship of Jesus and trusting in Him. Amen? This church is our good. It's not a lie. It doesn't leave us empty. It doesn't, it doesn't leave us with empty promises. Our good is being found and made right in the presence of God because of God, because of Jesus. Our good is being a child of God in the presence of our Father. Our good is putting our trust in the one who is our righteousness, and that's Jesus. And that's why David begins this psalm in verse 1, saying, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. put our trust in Jesus. That's our good. And now that we know what our good is, we, we still need to answer what follows God's presence. And, 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 and is there any benefit to those that are trusting in the righteousness of God in his presence? What, what should those that do so expect? And remember, the, the many are expecting, like, their version of good, 
They're expecting that from God and asking for it to come when God shines his light upon them in that moment. So, so they're basically saying, God, God, we're waiting for you to show up and produce the goods. The goods, that, that, that's our version. So, so here we finally find out in verse 7, what the many have decided is right and good in their eyes. This is the lie they've been told to seek after with their hearts from the world, and the thing they believe will follow God, God, God's presence. And it's verse 7, so let's read this. And David's saying, You, God, have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. You see it? The many believe their good is wrapped up in material abundance. What they're seeking after and what they believe will follow God's presence is prosperity and success in this world. Wh- whether it be uh, like you being a, a perfect Instagram or podcast worthy mom or someone that gets the perfect job that they'll love and, and, and like that, that'll give you a good promotion or whether it's like you getting the next job that will give you a bigger house and more money for your family or whether that's you getting the perfect grades to get you in the perfect college or fill in the blank. We believe those realities of life will satisfy. So we'll put all of our eggs in those baskets and trample over anyone and blame anyone that gets in our way of it. If we don't get it, if we don't, if we don't get the big promotion, if we don't get the perfect looking mom, if we don't get the perfect grades and get into the right school, we conclude then that God's not shining his face upon us and he's not showing us good, right? That's what we do. And a believer, a believer is after something different. Children of God aren't putting all their eggs in the basket of material abundance. Why? Well, verse 7 answers it. Look at it again. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. David is making the argument that experientially for him, he has more joy trusting in a righteous king and being found right in his presence than those that have worldly success. Whether, whether on the mountaintop or in the valley, he has found a greater joy that lasts beyond the moment. What follows trusting God in his presence is joy, church. It's greater joy. Why we seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness is because we get a joy in Jesus that's greater than what this world has to offer. Amen? David is trying to get you to see that deep-rooted joy in the midst of worldly misfortune is much better than eventual emptiness in the midst of worldly prosperity. He's trying to get us to see that the joy of material abundance has a ceiling because it's a drug that becomes a gateway. The problem with worldly prosperity is that it feels good getting it, but leaves you numb keeping it. David is trying to teach us the secret that the Apostle Paul will figure out later on in the New Testament. And here's how Paul says it. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, and it's in Jesus. 
trusting in Jesus. This type of joy is better than any type of joy that this world has to offer. You can put all your eggs into trusting and abiding in God because it brings us our greatest joy. And that's what's found in the presence of God. Greater joy. When you trust in God, what follows his presence is joy. So, but we're going to move forward further and ask our last question. Why, why is this actually better? So, so why is our greatest joy in trusting God in his presence, you ask? Well, we have David and later Paul figuring out and experiencing it, it, it's, it's something that the many haven't figured out yet. How, and, and how do they get more joy than the one who has much in this world? Why, why does God's presence produce more joy than worldly abundance? So why is it better, right? And, all, and, and we get all of this um, from this psalm, but, but so far up to this point in verse 7, all we've seen is that God put more joy in David's heart, but David will tell us more than that in the rest of the psalm. He'll give us two reasons why there's greater joy. So let's find out what David and Paul know and believe about those God considers righteous before him, those that put their trust in him in his presence. So let's go back to verse 1, actually, and it reads this. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Verse 1 tells us that when God is our righteousness, we actually get God's ear. God, God hears his children. And, 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 that, and that's just something that, that just something that happens to the human heart when it believes it's been heard, right? It, it softens, it lightens up, it's, it's less opposed to opposition, it's, it's more prone to trust. And we all know this to be true because most of us in here have been in a relationship or have a job, including those that have jobs at home. Shout out to my stay-at-home moms, right? Like the, 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 there's a job, there, whether you've been in some type of relationship or job, you'll find this out. Many of the conflicts and frustrations that happen in relationships and in the workplace happen not because of disagreement or lack of consensus. They happen because someone doesn't feel heard or valued. That, that, that's, what, that's what kind of the tension is pulling on a lot of this. And just think about what would happen in your workplace if your voice was heard and valued. In your relationships, with your kids. Can you imagine a world where you felt heard by your children? Lord, that, like, that they would actually hear the words that are coming out of your mouth. Lord, please help me. Like, if I could get there, I, I would be a much better parent, I feel like. Uh, so, but, but here's the point. When people feel heard and valued, there's a willingness to forgive and a commitment to long-suffering regardless of how well or how difficult things get. And consider this, church. Your heavenly Father, through his Spirit, hears your every word, knows your every thought, knows your every emotion, and values you much more than any human ever could on this earth. He hears you. 
David in verse 1 is saying, even, even when you haven't gotten relief yet from whatever you're going through, you can still call on his name, trusting that he will answer you in his timing. The interesting thing about verse 1 is that even though the focus is on God being his righteousness, David acknowledges that God is still a God that provides relief from circumstance. So, so I, I just want to clarify something real quick. It's okay to ask God to give you relief. It's okay to do that. It's a different story to feel entitled to it. It's a different story to be seeking relief while overlooking the one who provides it. God loves to show himself mighty and glorious in the midst of life's difficulties, but we must remember our greatest joy isn't the relief. It's him. It's him. It's a child being found in the presence of his loving father. That's, that, that's why we get this greater joy. Th and, and, and let me just say, this is why it's so important for us to delight daily in his word, to be reminded of his faithfulness to his children, to, to be reminded that he answers prayer, to be reminded that he honors and is pleased by our faith and trust in him, to be reminded that he answers when we call, that he gives when we ask, that he is found when we seek him, that he opens when, he, when we knock. Church, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those that ask him? He hears you. And knowing that we are heard and valued by our Heavenly Father should produce joy, church. It should produce joy. He cares about those he's made righteous before him, and he cares about those that put their trust in him. Verse 3 of Psalm 4 says it this way. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call him. He hears. In Christ Jesus, we are set apart for God himself. And God delights in hearing from his children. Isn't that good news? He delights in hearing from his children. So, so the second reason why trusting God in his presence brings a greater joy is found in verse 8. So let's go to the kind of bookends, verse 1 and verse 8. Verse 8 reads this way. In peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. So this verse is in stark contrast to what we find the many doing in verse 4. Verse 4 reads, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Selah. Here's what I'm saying, church. When you truly find yourself trusting God, you get good sleep. Hold on. You get good sleep. You get good sleep if you trust in God. Like, can I get an amen for that? Like, I want some good sleep. Like, what? Who doesn't want that? Who, who doesn't want, when you trust in God, you can rest easy? While David finds shalom, peace, rest in his bed when he puts his trust in him, the many are found sleepless on their beds in anger. That's the contrast. Well, why does David find peace and good rest, you ask? Well, verse 8, verse eight tells us. It's because he believes that God alone, nothing else, 
not the things of this world, not God plus the things of this world, but God alone makes him dwell in safety. He puts his complete trust in God alone, and he gets to experience greater joy found in the Father's presence because he knows he's safe. Ultimately, David is telling us the secret to greater joy. He's telling us the secret to why Paul will say later in his letter to the church in Philippi, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Jesus. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. David will say there's a greater joy in being found right in God's presence, but Paul even seems to take it a step further. It's not even really a comparison of joys. Any gain in this world is a loss compared to trusting Christ and knowing him. It's not, it's not a comparison of joys. It's, it's, it's one is a loss, the other is of surpassing worth. Being found right in the presence of God because of God is the only thing worth seeking after. Putting your complete trust in Jesus in faith is the only thing worth seeking after. On Christ, the solid rock we stand, church. All other ground is seeking sand. All other ground is seeking sand. Don't let the valleys of this fallen world deceive you into thinking the grass will be greener if and when you, le- you live in ab- abundance. And it's easy to believe this lie. Th- this is why I think what David is getting at hits home for many of us today. Even for those that are found right before God, it hits home because I think many of us in this room, if we're being honest, expect prosperity and to catch breaks when we follow Jesus. I say this because I see many people, including myself, begin to question God and his presence when things begin to go south in our lives. So to those that, that are wrestling and fighting for evidence of God's grace, I want you to know that God honors and loves those that continue to trust in him, that continue to fight for his presence, that continue to keep snuggling up to God, even when you don't feel him. You should not feel condemned for not feeling his presence in your life as you fight for it. To those that are wrestling and fighting for his presence, I want you to know that your wrestling and fighting is a beautiful sign of active faith. Waiting on and trusting in the Lord is active, not passive. We trust him. Church, church, as God's children, we experience the joy of being heard and safe in Jesus. Amen? 
For those that are found right in Jesus, David is ultimately trying to teach us how to respond to God in the midst of difficulty or abundance. Unfortunately, our response can tend to look like the many that David is referring to in this psalm. They say, God, show us you're here by giving us a break. Show us some good. And rather than saying that, rather than merely saying, God, show us, and God, give us a break, I think what David is trying to get us to say in our hearts is, God, remind us you're here by giving us greater joy. In difficulty, in abundance, God, God, remind me that you're still with me and you're for me by giving me greater joy in the midst of any and every circumstance. This is, this is the good news of Jesus, that, that, that we get God. The Great Commission finishes with, I am with you always to the end of this age. We're asking God to remind us that being found right in the presence of Jesus is better than anything else this world has to offer. God, remind me that I can trust you because you hear me and you keep me safe. Let's pray. I want to give you a moment to ask yourself this question and answer it. What lies of fulfillment are you believing right now? What sacrifices are you offering to the Lord that's not giving you your complete trust in Jesus? And as you consider the answer to that question, to those questions, I I would like to finish by reminding us of what God is up to, what he's done that's been highlighted just in this psalm alone as we pray. And as I read these truths, I, I I, I want you to turn those truths into your prayer to God. Ask him this morning for the things he's blessed David with. Verse one, David says God has given him relief. For those that need relief this morning, Ask him. Ask him right now. In verse 3, David says, The Lord has set apart the godly for himself. For those that haven't been set apart in Jesus, ask God to set you apart as you put your complete trust in Jesus this morning. Ask him. In verse 3, David says, The Lord hears him when he called out to him. For those that that, that need to feel like they've been heard by God, just ask them. In verse 7, David says, the Lord has put more joy in his heart. If if you need God to give you more joy this morning, ask him. And lastly, in verse 8, David says, the Lord has made him dwell in safety. Do you need the good shepherd this morning to protect you? Ask him.
My prayer is that these truths will bring you joy, that they'll compel you to put your trust in Jesus this morning. And some of you haven't done that yet, and it's time to do so. It's time to offer the right and only sacrifice before the Lord, your trust in his righteousness, not your own. Some of you in here are children of God, but you still struggle with trusting Jesus with your life, with the things of your life. My, my prayer for you is that you'll believe that God is at work, working on your behalf for his glory, even if you don't feel his presence or sense him at work. Jesus, we trust you. You're worthy of our trust. We want to believe that this morning. Help us with our unbelief, God. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church. A podcast is never meant to replace gathering with your church to hear the preaching of the Bible. So we want to encourage you to be part of a local church family. We meet every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. and would love for you to join us as we enjoy Jesus together.